0: special bulletin welcome back we're covering episode four of true detective night country i've got matthew with me again thanks for having me glad to be back and ivy's back for the third time
1: i am thank you for having me and i'm excited to
0: be here. <laughs> of course this episode i believe we wrapped up the last episode talking about what we hoped to see in this episode And while this episode wasn't entirely what I expected, I was not disappointed at all. I felt like episode three and episode four went hand in hand to deliver a solid one-two punch. Mm -hmm. So let's dive in. We open up the clock on the bedside table shows that it is 3.29 a.m., And Danvers can't sleep. Is it a coincidence she can't sleep at 3.29 a.m.? I think that's just for those paranormal people out there to pick up on. (laughs) So she grabs her phone and she starts reviewing the footage from Annie's phone. She watches it over and over again. She freezes on an image in the ice that we can't quite make out. I thought it vaguely resembled a man in a coat.
1: I couldn't see anything except what we were later told was whale bones. It looked like... Ice maybe, like, I don't know. It looked kind of like dark jello to me, so it didn't really, I looked, couldn't see much.
0: Okay, it's very, there's nothing real clear. I saw the whale bones kind of on the right of the image on my second watch, but then I am still convinced I see a man in the reflection of the ice and it looks like he's wearing a big coat. I don't know. Uh, She eventually decides she's just gonna wake up. She walks into Leah's bedroom and has perhaps the first gentle moment as Leah's mother figure. During this scene, the screams from Annie's phone echo out, and the scene changes. Danvers is now driving to the office, and Peter is on the phone, and he mentions that Captain Connolly is there to supervise the transport of the bodies to Anchorage. During the call, Danvers sees Jules, who is Navarro's sister, if you're keeping up, and she is... Walking is not the right word. She's in the middle of the street, taking her clothes off, sobbing, acting really erratic, clearly having some sort of episode. This was actually immediately, I felt like we picked things up at the end of the last episode, and this told me that this episode was not going to slow down. Like right away, drama is happening. And we see a sentimental side of Danvers Maybe not sentimental, but genuinely concerned as she gets out of the car, wraps her coat around jewels, comforting and the genuine the concern in this scene really seemed to be genuine from Danvers, not a police officer working an issue, but somebody who cared. Yeah. After the credits, we then see Navarro sitting with her sister at the police station. Jules apologizes to Navarro, and I noticed she does this many times. She apologizes for her behavior, and nobody's having that. Stop apologizing. (laughs) Danvers seems, again, in this scene, to be genuinely concerned, but Navarro kind of skips over it and asks about the case headed to Anchorage and wants to know what's going on with the bodies. She then mentions the video from Annie's phone and states, we need to talk about it. We cut to a brief scene of the bodies being removed from the ice. Peter's sitting there watching them being take off. They're no longer a corpseicle. And then we cut to a silent scene of Navarro and her sister sitting in a car. And it's kind of a prolonged moment of you can see them talking, but the camera's outside the car. We can't hear it. It's kind of a touching, quiet moment. We're this back entire with, yep. first
1: chunk was a lot of feelings, but not a lot going on. <laughs> just,
0: this, yes.
1: Yes, it seems like none of us have anything to say, but it's just it was all very quiet, very emotional,
0: very soft instead of what we've been dealing with previously. And it's moving fast. I felt like this episode in particular moved way faster than any of the others. And when it was over, I was like, no. It was clearly an ending, but I didn't want it to. So we're back inside the station, and Peter mentions that he thinks he found a case with similar injuries to the Salal station guys. Danvers brushes him off to talk to Captain Connolly. Connolly assures that he is not there to take the case away, but he emphasizes that Liz needs to get the city under control. He mentions the tension with the miners, the murders, and more. Danvers mentions that the scientists died before they froze. She mentions that she did an independent evaluation and is treating the science scientists like a murder case. Captain Connolly's kind of upset by this. When Danvers mentions the Annie video footage, he kind of wipes it under the rug and says, that stays on a need-to-know basis,
2: which <laughs> I thought was interesting. I was thinking like maybe to prevent panic or something. Yeah. This
0: was the moment when I wondered if he was in on it. So yeah. I think we said in a previous episode, I think was it I think it was Ivy who you mentioned that you think she was down there in like security for the mine founder.
1: Yeah, something and like that.
0: This scene made me wonder if he knew about that back then.
1: That didn't even occur to me.
0: Yes. So this scene made me think that he knew and that it was what you described earlier. Huh? Like I said, it could be nothing. It could just be a weird, like not wanting to cause panic. It could be greater.
1: I'm still looking for a villain. I'm still looking for a potential murderer because I think, I think Annie was straight up murdered. So I don't know, but that's interesting if he could be not necessarily the one that killed her, but like a villain who covered it up.
0: Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Navarro checks Jules into the Lighthouse Center, which this was the center uh, that they had talked about rehabbing therapy. Getting her help is what they had talked about. I don't know if we'd mentioned that by name, but she checks into the Lighthouse Center. And it's, again, it's another emotional, touching, small scene of Jules and Navarro sitting there. Jules keeps saying that she can do this. She can get better. And it's just a beautiful bond between these two sisters. Mm. And I noticed again, as Jules walks away, the camera focuses on Navarro and pans down the hallway, creating an isolating shot of Navarro where she gets smaller and smaller and her surroundings expand. This shot has been used multiple times throughout the show with different characters It's almost at this point, I would say, one of those defining shots of Issa as a director. Mm. Because she's used it so frequently, but it also adds to that isolation we feel with the show. I love it. We cut back to the station where Peter begins to tell Danvers about that similar case. Ruptured eardrums, burned corneas, the whole nine yards. The guy's name was Otis Heiss. He was a German national, no records whatsoever. Basically been a ghost for eight years. No trace, much like Tagak from the previous episode. But he does have a history of disorderly conduct. He became a junkie after his accident. But there was still no cause to what caused his accident. He won't talk about it. Danvers tells Peter to get the men looking. Put out an APP. He replies that the men are looking for Clark. And Peter's dad is waiting at the airport for his Russian mail-order bride. Peter tries to persuade Danvers, it's Christmas Eve, I want to go home, be with my family. And Danvers says, well, I guess you should hurry. And just another moment of us disliking Danvers, and they share, uh, I hate you, as they part. Which, this was the first time Peter said that, which I noticed, and I was like, good for you. You mean it. Yeah. (laughs) I keep wanting
1: him to stand up to her the entire time. Yep. I'm just like, please say something. Please say something, anything, and then
0: nothing. I thought it was going to happen this episode later on. Yeah. Uh, Navarro calls Danvers and mentions that the video on Annie's phone seems to have been taken in ice caves, but there are none nearby. Mentions the possibility of what we said earlier, those whale bones being in the ice. Danvers asks about Julia... Jules, how is she doing? And she says the opposite of what she told Peter 30 seconds ago. She tells Navarro that she should be home. We cut to Hank in like, if I didn't dislike Hank so much at this point, I would feel worse for him. I still feel bad for him. This episode made me hurt for him just a little, but he's been such a piece of trash. Mm -hmm. But we cut to Hank, and he is standing outside of the Ennis Airport with gifts in his arms, watching the plane empty. And we watch him, and the plane empties, and his bride did not arrive in Alaska.
2: He deserved it.
0: Yeah. He did. (laughs) <laughs>
1: really did. it's still sad to watch which i think is it great. is it was, it was pretty
2: heartbreaking for sure but he <laughs> that's some karma coming back around i think
0: oh yeah yep i did th- this scene maybe just a twinge sad for him you like you said he deserved it the scene later i wrote down some thoughts on that one but yes him standing there with the gifts watching everybody leave and then we got that tease of like the flight attendant And we're like, oh, she's just, nope, just pulling up the stairs. It was a little, little rough. Cutting back to Danvers, she's now in the car with Navarro, again, asking about Jules. Danvers has been really worried about Navarro's sister this episode. And I'm trying to figure out necessarily why. It seems a little different other than the fact that maybe Danvers actually cares about Navarro and is worried what could happen there.
1: Oh, I absolutely think that's exactly what's going on. Okay. Yeah. They have a, they have a friendship. To, we'll get to it later, but whenever they talk later, but they have mm-hmm. a friendship that's actually building back up. Even yes. if they're not being nice to one another or friendly with one another.
0: That's true. And I guess that this episode goes a long way to show us that, it's being restored. Yeah. Navarro mentions that Jules prays a lot and Danvers asks if that's not a good thing. And Danvers tells us the story about her mother's death. And this was a moment that we find out a little bit more about Danvers. We kind of feel for her as well. And she talks about how her father encouraged her to pray. And she says she prayed from the bottom of her seven-year-old broken heart. And that was such... Like, I felt that line. That was a good story, good delivery. It carried a lot of weight, for sure. Yes. And she was just desperate to make her mother better. Navarro says with a laugh, maybe you didn't pray hard enough. And then both of them joke uh, something about, but God's not real or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we took this moment of weight, this heavy moment, and they ended it with a laugh together, which... what friends do usually in my experience yep they arrive at a house and danvers hides behind navarro a lady opens the door and navarro asks to speak to her husband the lady notices danvers and gets mad this is when we see that it's the teacher from the first episode and navarro (laughs) navarro turns and asks her is there anybody you haven't slept with in this town and i just it was a hilarious exchange
1: I just love how pissed the the wife is so... You can feel her anger
0: through the screen. Yep, it's so good. Navarro, the the teacher from the first episode, he is not happy she's there to begin with. And it takes Navarro showing him the video from Annie's phone to convince him to help. He confirms that they are whale bones in the ice. He mentions the ice caves nearby are a death trap. And he mentions that maps... Even with maps, they would need an expert to navigate them. Turns out that the maps of the caves were made by a guy named Otis Heiss. So Danvers gets excited about that, fills Navarro in a little bit on that case, and then the wife comes in and kicks the officers out. He said
1: something very interesting though. I went back mm-hmm. three times to make sure I got it and heard it correctly. He said there were a bunch of accidents up there years ago and it was closed. Do we think we're going to find out about those accidents? Do we think those tie oh. in? I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I didn't either. Somebody else that I was watching with went, wait a minute. And I, I went back and kind of thought about it a second. And I was like, that could be something. Huh. So
0: I don't know. Yeah, I just tied that in because he mentions all the fissures in the ice. And I was like, oh, that's probably it but that would Hmm. another theory (laughs) we cut to Jules she's in her new room she's sitting on the bed and we see an orange roll out from under the bed to right between her feet and in one uh, a pretty good jump scare moment she gets down and looks under her bed and we see a woman not like A nice-looking woman, a creepy-looking woman, (laughs) under the bed, wearing a cross necklace. This is most likely, if I'm to make assumptions on some other things that happened in this episode, this is most likely her mother under the bed. And that necklace that we saw that nearly drove Navarro off the road. This is when I start putting some things that are said later together, all the way back in that first episode. I believe I asked if it was Ennis trying to kill Navarro and drive her off the road. I think it was her mother. I think this scene proves something
1: paranormal, supernatural. I think it is proof that there is something going on. I will expand (laughs) on that later when we get to the second scene that I think proves that. But. I do. I think that this scene is is proof there is something, there is at least a super supernatural element, a small one if anything, but there is one and I think this is proof.
0: Okay? Okay. I so <laughs> yeah, I I honestly think I went more to uh, this is all in Navarro and her sister's head after this episode, but I'll get to that more let me ask you this. Do yep. you think that Navarro told her sister she was hallucinating an orange?
1: No. So why are they hallucinating the same orange? And why is it doing the exact same thing?
0: So I think it has to do, well, with that family curse that she mentions. So, there's
1: something else. there's something else with Navarro weird that happens later. So,
0: yeah. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to get into this discussion later. <laughs> this episode packed a lot in. Yeah. We're being pretty quiet so far, but there's a lot to go over towards the end of this episode. After this point, it really picks up. Yes. In this episode, my wife teases me because I'm a crier. I cry <laughs> at movies all the time. Uh I cry at TV shows. I've been... Uh, even commercials occasionally. Uh, this episode got me. This episode got me twice, I think.
2: I'm a crier too. Are you? Just throwing it out there. Yeah, okay, I'm a big softie. Not, not
0: alone. <laughs> we cut back to the station where Hank pulls a bottle of Jim Beam out of his desk, pours it in a coffee mug, and just sits there resigned. He's taken it really well, honestly, other than chugging Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter gets his attention. Peter asks where his wife is, and Hank says she wasn't on the plane. Peter asks if Hank sent her any money, and Hank completely ignores that question and asks Peter if he could come over for Christmas Eve. Peter says that sounds nice, and Hank says he has nowhere to be and no need to get there fast.
2: His facial expressions definitely said otherwise. Like, I think he was kind of disappointed that his dad was coming over.
0: Oh, Peter? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was, Peter was extending. I think it's on the dad to extend the olive branch, but Peter was giving him the opportunity here. Mm -hmm. We cut to Navarro knocking on Rose's door. Rose is all dressed up and has cooked a feast. And I wondered what this was about, why she went to these extents for just Navarro who was all this for, or was this just a tradition that Rose went through every Christmas? I, it wasn't answered. I didn't quite get it, other than Rose goes all out for a Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve, and it looked I, delicious. I wrote, the, I wrote the exact same note. Why is she doing this? Yeah, What's I want doing? I want it. <laughs> I'm very hungry. <laughs> but yeah, I, it was very interesting. Navarro asks, what were you, Rose, before Alaska? And Rose answers that she was a professor who got tired of making so much noise. She moved to Alaska. And then she says, it's a little quieter here except for all the dead. Great line. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm just like, other than Rose delivering fire lines, every scene she's in, I'm not sure what this scene was for. So maybe this will make more sense later.
1: I thought it was interesting that they showed it right after we saw Navarro's sister. And the orange. Hmm. Because Rose is super matter of fact. There are ghosts. People are dead. We keep seeing them. Blah, blah, blah. And then that comes right after that scene. It's it's just very, it was, it was very interesting timing. To the point where I was like, have other people interacted with Rose besides Navarro? Ooh. That was where my head went. I was like, do we know that, plus the, the Christmas dinner. I was like, do we... Do we know that Rose is real? And I, I, I honestly, I would need uh, to go back and look at episode one.
0: So yes, because in episode one, Peter mentions who found the bodies and says okay. that it was Rose. She but, later
1: on, later on, Navarro is talking to Kavik and she lists off names of people, and she says Rose, and he does not flinch. So that was my confirmation that everybody can see Rose. But yeah. um, it, it, there, it's just the way that people act so nonchalant about seeing ghosts. And Rose is kind of like the the pinnacle for the story of that particular thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's interesting to me that they included that that scene right there.
0: She's <laughs> also the one who has planted in our head that not everything is paranormal and some of it truly is mm-hmm. mental health related. So mm-hmm. she's the one solely responsible for toying with our brains as yep. we watch this. And I love her character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I like Rose. I'll watch more Rose. Mm-hmm. And then Liz gets a call. Liz Danvers gets a call from Kate, who was the owner of the mines and the ice rink from episode two. Danvers shows up to the mine offices where Leah has spray painted murderers on the door. Danvers and Kate have a nice little back and forth. They clearly dislike each other. Kate wants to press charges, but Danvers says no. And she replies, you don't get to mess up my kid's life because you're pissed at me. I thought that
2: was a beautiful abuse of power.
0: Yes, I thought the same thing. (laughs) thought the same thing. That is a wonderful, like, a beautiful... I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I got the impression that Kate doesn't entirely accept those terms, but she nods and walks away. She just kind of shrugs it off and walks away. Leah gets out of the car, and the only thing she does is ask Danvers why she always takes their side. And we assume she's referring to the miners. Navarro calls her sister just to check in after she's leaving roses. And she asks, how's the room? Jules replies that it's good, it's quiet. And then the camera cuts to Jules sitting in the abandoned boat from the previous episode. And she says softly, I love you, Angie. She says i love you angie and they hang up and then jewel stands up takes off all of her clothes folds them neatly like the scientists did and walks into the ocean as billy eilish's song everybody dies plays this was the scene that got me i was i was pretty emotional at the scene not gonna lie yeah also the song choice was fantastic And before the song is over, we see Danvers and Leah fighting. And I thought that was entirely on purpose. I don't know why yet, but the fact that everybody dies is still playing while Danvers fights with Leah, I thought was significant. Leah packs a bag to leave. Leah says, I am not going to make you pretend anymore and walks outside. And Peter Pryor's wife is there to pick her up. There's some kind of relationship between Pryor's wife and Leah. And I Mm -hmm. haven't quite picked up what that is. But there's multiple times that Leah is with that family. It could just be
1: that they're both young and it's a small community, so they're friends. Yeah. Because I get the impression Pryor and his wife are super young especially
2: to have that's a true yeah early <laughs> 20s at least yes yeah yeah um i think maybe like yeah they're they're definitely friends for sure and it's like small town type stuff but they also mentioned that um um liz is what uh, her daughter i forget her name um she's like trying leah? to pick up on yeah leah she's okay. trying to pick up on like her her heritage like her history and stuff as well so i think she might be hanging out over there a lot because she gets more information and liz danvers isn't really trying to come forth with any of that that could be very true
0: danvers ends up throwing her christmas turkey in the trash and pulls out a bottle of absolute vodka from the freezer and just sits down to watch annie's video over and over she's got great coping mechanisms we see navarro walk up to her house where some small gifts have been left at her door. I assumed these were from Jules. Yes, that was my assumption. I wasn't gonna okay. I wasn't gonna press like a ton of questions on how she got a car, drove them over there, all that, but I was gonna assume these were Christmas gifts left from Jules. We cut back to Danvers, who notices something in the video. She's wasted at this point. She notices a power surge that exists both in Annie's video and the video from the Solal station. And I think, Matthew, you pointed that out.
2: Episode one.
0: Yeah, you caught that right away. She calls Navarro and tells her this. Navarro says, are you drunk? But then asks, almost the same thought, why would there be power in an ice cave? they talked this through, realized that Tagak was an engineer and he would have had access to generators. Danvers says that she's going to pick Navarro up in five. Navarro says, no, you're wasted. And then Danvers is like, I'm going to be, I'll be your backup. You pick me up. And she's like, I'm not showing up with drunk backup. And <laughs> she ends up, it was another funny exchange, but it was another one of Danvers throwing people around to accomplish what she wants. Cause she ends up calling Peter and says she needs him to be Navarro's backup because Tagak could potentially be armed and dangerous. During the call, Hank actually comes to the defense of Peter, says he has a family and he needs to go home. And ultimately, Danvers wins. And in a line that got under my skin, when Peter agrees, she says, that's my boy. And it just seemed manipulative, again, as if everybody in Peter's life is manipulating him. Yep. This is when we see Peter's wife and Leah. I don't know Peter's wife's name. I've tried to make note of everybody's names, and for some reason I keep missing her name. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Okay. But Peter's wife and Leah are making bread with her grandmother or mother. It's not, I think it's grandmother because Danvers said something about her being a laundromat grandmother. It's a reflection of the happiness the family could have without Danvers. At least that was my pickup. It really gave me Ghost of Christmas present vibes of showing people without Scrooge and it made me suddenly realize that in this Christmas story, Danvers is our Scrooge. Oh, we just don't have the we just don't have the ghosts. But every time we see people without Danvers, they're significantly happier.
1: shows that's, that's really sad. Her name is Kayla Pryor.
0: OK, Kayla.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me.
0: Peter shows up and Navarro says, sorry, freshman, really the first kindness that she has shown Peter the entire series. Peter asks if Danvers was drunk and the two of them share a genuine laugh as they drive off to this camp. Navarro says that she believes Danvers is onto something. They arrive at the camp and it appears completely deserted. They knock on Tagok's door and there's no answer. They push it open and see that it is dark soup on the table has frozen There is a layer of ice on everything, and in the back is a black spiral drawn on cardboard. It is also carved into a stone that Navarro finds. She hears dogs barking, and they go to the front door where the people have come out of their homes. They say they're not happy that they're there, and they say that they need a warrant to enter a man's home. They say that Tagak left the day after Danvers, and Navarro questioned him. She asks what the stone is and is given the silent treatment in what's a very tense moment, and then they just decide to leave. We cut to Danvers, and just a nice little touch of showing how much time has passed. The frost on her vodka bottle is gone, so she's nearly finished it, and it's no longer cold. She drives to Captain Connolly's, very drunk, where he is watching Elf and whitening his teeth. Danvers comes on to him. He asks if she is drunk and they start to laugh and she takes off her socks, which I thought was interesting because in episode two, when they were getting together, she kept her socks on. Um, (laughs) I did not notice. (laughs) I, I noticed that. I don't know why. And I thought that's why they laughed about her taking the socks off in this scene because she started there. She teases him about whitening his teeth for his campaign And they eventually discuss why she was sent to to Ennis. And he says that, yes, it was because she was a mess. And yes, because she was a better cop than him from day one. But he says that she was terrible with people. And after Jake and Holden, it got worse. And that's all that's said. Danvers shuts down, gets defensive, and leaves. Connolly says that she is still a mess. This is the other scene that got me with Hank. And we cut to Hank, who is also watching Elf. They must not have a lot of channels or streaming options because it almost seemed to show the passing of time, too. Like we were just a couple scenes ahead. Hank is watching Elf as well as he eats a frozen TV dinner. He checks the fridge and sees the bottle of champagne he had purchased for the night. And then the next shot shows him standing over the bed with a stuffed animal on it covered in rose petals. And you realize in that moment why he didn't want to go home. It's filled with a painful reminder that he is also alone. Navarro gets a call from the Coast Guard, and soft piano plays as everything cuts to silence. Peter asks if everything is okay, and Navarro says yes. She gets out of the car and tells him, go be with your family. You see her standing in the snow, just kind of processing what she heard on the phone. Peter arrives home to a really brightly lit tree. I've never seen a tree this bright, but the scene looks good. Presents are underneath it. He climbs into bed and tells his wife that he is sorry. She replies that you are not and that she just wants to sleep. And then we learn why there's so much tension between them. It's not just Danvers. Peter says, why don't you just say that I ruined your life and you didn't want to have the baby? And the scene cuts. And all of a sudden you realize just a little bit more about what was going on in those previous conversations. Navarro is driving to Lighthouse where she verbally berates the front desk attendant about why they would let her sister leave. Why would you let a mentally unstable patient disappear she trashes the lobby insults the clerk clearly having an emotional angry outburst in, in this lobby and callie reese deserves praise for her performance in this episode mm. she was fantastic because i felt in watching her that she was not acting but she was truly on the verge of having that kind of mental breakdown And instead, she kind of pauses in that lobby, and it looks like she's on the verge of tears. But instead, she remembers that on the way there, she passed the guy who had beat his wife way back in episode one. So she decides to drive back and pick a fight with him and his friends. She's outnumbered and gets beat pretty good. And this is when I learned that Callie Reese was actually a boxer before she got into acting. She looks like a boxer. Uh, She's a beast. So after this episode, I looked up what else she's been in because I was genuinely impressed. She's been great the whole show. But this episode showed that emotional side of her. And I was genuinely impressed by her performance. So I looked up what she's been in. She's been in a couple things, but I saw that she was a boxer and professional. It looked like professional boxer. And I believe it because... She handles herself pretty well in that fight. We cut to Danvers driving pretty fast when a polar bear that's missing its eye runs her off the road. And it looks at her through the window, and we cut. It's just a very brief scene. So is that polar bear a ghost, and this is Danvers' first experience seeing a ghost? Or is that polar bear real? Because episode one navarro saw it it's also the same as the teddy bear i have questions about that polar bear and if it is a ghost that's a significant moment for danvers it could also mean that she was close to death in that scene i don't know i went back and forth
1: i don't know what i think it was yeah it is also in the opening credits too oh the, the, live, the big version the, the the real version and the stuffed animal are both
0: in the opening credits okay we see Kavik sleeping in a chair when he hears noises downstairs. He comes down with a shotgun and finds Evangeline cleaning herself in what appears to be the bar sink. She's bruised and bloodied. The guys got her good in that fight. Kavik starts minor first aid and he spots, I think the stone with the spiral falls out of her pocket and he asks what it is. She says that she doesn't know and he continues to clean her wounds She asks why he is alone in life. And at first he misunderstands and says, I'm not my brother just left. And then she says, no, no in life. Why are you alone? And again, he says, I'm not. And she tries to prove her point. Comes back, says I'm alone. Danvers is alone. Kavik, you're alone. Rose is alone. And he again, looks at her softly and says, you are not alone. I love this scene. He says he knew that she was going to come, and he pretends to get down on one knee and starts to, I've been thinking of Angeline, and she's protesting, no, Kavik, no, stop. And then he pops her finger back into place, and she screams. I thought that was a great scene for a lot of reasons. Him pretending to propose. yeah. Because I think that implies that she knows how he feels and she's the one who has been reluctant to go all in. I also thought it was just funny because he was doing it to pop her finger into place. But it also has a third effect of it. Caught, she starts screaming at him and that screaming becomes how she first... I'm not first, but how she allows herself to first become emotional about her sister's death and i th- I thought it was a really powerful scene, and yeah, he just getting beat up was a way to get to be numb to the whole thing,
1: yes, and that was the first time she felt anything. They're playing with a a nice little trope here where it's it's the woman is a human disaster, and the guy is really put together, and he's like super super in love with her and wants to take care of her, and she's like, no, no.' You don't see it too often. I feel like you see it more often lately. I I just feel bad for Kavik because she is not going to return those feelings. I just, I feel so bad for him. He (laughs) he wants so badly to be like, you know, let me take care of you. We are not alone. And she's just like, I'd rather be punched in the face.
0: (laughs) He's such a genuinely likable character. Yeah. And this scene made me like him even more. And seeing the gentle care that he has with her, even... From going first aid immediately to he realizes quickly she doesn't say it. She doesn't mention that her sister is dead. Nope. I noticed that on second watch. But he picks up that there's an emotional cause behind all of this and just holds her. And I was like, man, this is a good scene. We see Danvers back at her house and she appears to be dreaming of Holden, the little boy. The scene is intercut with shots from a graveyard. They're great shots, but I'm not sure they appear to have whale bones around the headstones. The doorbell wakes her, and Navarro is let into the house. Danvers asks what happens, referring to Navarro's bruises, and she brushes it off. She was going to show Danvers the stone with the spiral, but she can't find it. She doesn't realize, I got the impression she doesn't realize it's at Cobbix. Because yeah, she says, I don't think she, think she remembered either. No, okay. I think she forgot or didn't notice or something. Yeah. There's an unspoken realization that both of them have had a rough night. Danvers knocks over a box and a teddy bear with one of the one-eyed polar bear falls out. Navarro picks it up and I realize that this was the first time she's seen that teddy bear mm-hmm. in person. Because she flashes back to the vis- vision she had in one of the previous episodes of a little boy holding that teddy bear. When that little boy whispered in her ear, tell my mommy. And we Navarro makes that connection. Danvers goes on this tirade about the dead are dead. And Navarro counters, then why are you still holding on to this with the teddy bear? Danvers grabs it, throws it out the front door. And when she turns around, still screaming things about the dead being dead, they're not coming back for us, we're not seeing them, whatever. Navarro looks at her and says, my sister killed herself last night. She walked out into the sea and just kept going. And all of a sudden, Danvers softens. And we get that insight, this is where... I started to go again. I started to go where it's not paranormal, but Navarro says sound and says they diagnosed her sister with schizophrenia, bipolar, borderline personality. She goes through list and she says, but that's not it. Navarro says that it takes us one by one and that she is next. It's a curse. Something calls them and they follow. It got her mom. It got her sister. And now it calls to her. And this is where I was like, "Mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that being paranormal because it seems more like a generational curse, a mental health issue that's passed down from family member to family member, but it's dressed up in a paranormal coat. And I don't know how I feel about it yet. I, I don't know. I was leaning back towards... It is a mental health thing.
2: It kind of sounds know. like a, like a cry for help almost like she's worried that she's next because oh, she's yeah. kind of had those like suicidal thoughts, you know, and then it sounds like maybe that was the way that her mom went and now her sister. And she's just assuming it's, she's just next and she's not maybe, I don't know. I kind of took a, took away from the scene that she feels like she's not necessarily in control. Yeah. This
1: was the other scene. Okay. Because my biggest question is if she has never seen that, that stuffed polar bear before, why is she dreaming about it? If nothing supernatural is going on.
0: I, I don't think I would be quick to say that it's not, none of this is supernatural. Also, uh, because, also yeah,
1: we missed it whenever we were talking about the scene at um, Oliver's abandoned shack thing uh when they hold up the stone whenever she's like what is this all the dogs freak out i forgot about that
0: yeah Yeah. the dogs
1: freak out at the stone yeah oh i'm i'm I'm
0: formulating a whole like (laughs) (laughs) so i don't think there is nothing paranormal going on right now i'm torn between the uh I think the perfect example of using paranormal for mental health is Mike Flanagan's uh, Haunting of Hill House. Oh, yeah. And so I'm torn between it being like that, where the ghost of the mother is representing this mental health issue. But there are things like that dream sequence where the little boy shows up or the oranges where when Navarro was out. But again, it all comes back to Navarro. Navarro is the one experiencing these. So I do think there is something supernatural going on. I'm just kind of waiting to see now that I don't really think ghosts are causing it. I think it's kind of just an element to the mystery, if that makes sense.
1: It does. And I also think Danvers danvers is freak out when we were watching it it kind the the rea- our reaction was all kind of like why is she so upset right now whenever she first gets the polar bear out i think danvers we know that we know from later in the scene danvers believes that navarro can see ghosts i think that the freak out whenever she sees the polar bear the stuffed polar bear mm-hmm. is because she's scared navarro is about to tell her she has seen her dead son oh interesting um, and she doesn't want to hear that. And when she throws that polar bear out into the snow, that is the saddest part. That's the saddest part of the episode to me. Really? That's heartbreaking. Because I don't know. I wouldn't think you would keep that because you're holding on to it in case he came back. I would think that because you don't have your kid anymore. And this is something that he had, he touched, and then you kept Memory. it because it was his and now mm-hmm. she's gone and thrown it out in the snow. And that's just so sad.
0: Hmm. Um yeah, Good observation, yeah. But yeah,
1: it's just... But but yeah, I, I, think that, I think that Danvers at the very least believes that Navarro is actually seeing ghosts and she is actually seeing these things. I don't think she thinks Navarro is crazy at all.
0: Well, and that leads into this very next part where Danvers says that she is doing that thing again. She's doing that thing she did with the Wheeler case. Mm-hmm. And she says, you saw something in that room and we see a flashback of navarro and there is a ghost and we are assuming it is the ghost of i thought it was the ghost of the girl that wheeler had killed yeah but it also looked strangely like her mother from the other ghost scenes of her mother so that's where i was the ghost makeup is all very similar (laughs) uh she tells him that Danvers says she saw nothing. She insists that she saw nothing. Danvers calls her a liar. And then her phone rings. And this episode has moved fast. I feel like it covered a lot of ground. And then the last part of it was great hook prior calls and says a fisherman saw something out near the dredges. He sends the photo. Navarro is about to drive away. Got in her truck When Danvers runs out and holds the phone up to her window, and we see a blurry photo of a man wearing Annie's jacket, just like Clark from the earlier episodes. On the drive, Navarro and Danvers talk about the dredges, talking about how they haven't worked in years. They are just out there rotting, forgotten, and abandoned. And Danvers says, one of my favorite lines of the episode, aren't we all? (laughs)
2: That was a good one for sure.
0: Yep. Mm -hmm. Emo kid of me was happy with that. Uh, they, (laughs) They walked the distance between where they were able to park and where the dredges are. They entered the dredge. The dredge is this dark iron, almost factory looking machine boat. Inside there's creepy graffiti of a spider demon drawn on the wall. That thing, it kind of reminded me of the stranger things, tornado demon but with way more legs the f- there's a fire still burning in a burn barrel they see a spiral painted on a giant tank and all of a sudden they hear clark run up some stairs danvers follows and as they start to chase navarro hears a voice whisper evangeline she then sees her sister's body, I'm assuming it's the sister's body, drift by on the water beneath the dredge. Danvers realizes they are separated, but continues to pursue Clark instead of pursuing Navarro. Navarro follows the voice down. Danvers goes up with Clark. Navarro sees wet footprints exiting the water and decides to follow them into the darkness. Danvers eventually catches Clark, and it's... It's a scene you see a lot in horror movies, but I liked it in this, where he's just standing in a corner, covered in his coat, hood over his face, not moving.
1: It got me. It felt very Blair Witch, too. Oh, yeah. Oh. It definitely got me. The, the, the length of time they waited to reveal his face was perfect.
0: Yep. And he's so still. Mm-hmm. When he reveals his face, we see that it is not Clark. It is Otis Heiss. And he's trembling in what I took to be fear, not cold. And Danvers asks where he got the coat. This scene has some time jumping, so I'm just going to talk about it chronologically. Uh, We see Navarro following those footsteps until they end at one of the creepiest Christmas setups I've ever seen. Deep in the bowels of this dredge, somebody has hooked a Christmas tree up to a car battery. And it is playing some wonderfully distorted Christmas music. And Navarro turns and sees her sister's ghost in a traditional jump scare fashion. We cut back to Danvers, who asks Clark, who is asking where Clark has gone. And Heiss replies, he's gone, went back down to hide. And he is hiding in the night country. And he follows that up with, we are all in the night country now. Danvers goes down to find Navarro, who is now sitting at the Christmas tree, and her ear is bleeding. The episode ends with the most haunting rendition of Twist and Shout I've ever heard. (laughs) Because it was not in the rest of that episode. Just at the end. So we kind of talked a little bit about what we think is going on. Ivy, you want to you start us off and expand a little more?
1: Um that last scene, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use the term brainworms. I mm-hmm. don't know if I'm thinking of something that's like bacteria, I don't know if there's some sort of literal like thing burrowing into people's brains. I don't know if there's some sort of gas that people are inhaling, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're consuming it via the water, but I do not think that. I think that whatever is happening with the Salal guys, what's happening with Otis, what's happening with Clark, I think that's brainworms. Okay. I think something that's going on with the mines and the releasing and what they were digging out of Salal, I think something has been released and it's making people do these things. I think the blood coming out of Navarro's ear is the brainworms. And. That would tie in it, the, the whole brainworms thing. If the miners are messing something up, or Salal was putting something out there, that could easily tie into Annie being murdered for revealing this. Because you wouldn't want an entire town full of brainworms. Mm-hmm. But if you're making, if they're making money off of it, they're not going to want to. They don't care about people getting brainworms. So I don't think any of that is, I I don't think any of that is paranormal or supernatural or anything anymore. I think that's something, something has been released and is infecting these people and they're going crazy. I think that anything involving that spiral with actual indigenous people is probably a little more supernatural. And -hmm. I think that's why I think that Navarro and her sister and her mom, I think that they just happen to be extremely sensitive to seeing ghosts and seeing dead people and, and feeling those kind of things. And a person can only see dead people so many times before they crack. So that's fair. That, that's that's kind of where I was coming from it, because whenever I started thinking about whenever they pointed out that Navarro had never seen that stuff bear, I was like, oh, no, no, something something. This is not this is not brain worms. And I find it very difficult to believe that her her and her sister would be having the exact same hallucination about this orange in the exact same fashion. That it, it, I don't think they would share that information between each other. So it's weird to me that they're both having that same exact thing going on. Um, yeah. Also, it's a bad idea mm-hmm. to have blue hair in Alaska, apparently, because Annie had blue hair <laughs> and Hules had blue hair
0: and they're both dead. So yes. Yeah. Yes. They really frown on dyeing your hair up there. Exactly.
2: (laughs) All right, Matthew, what was your takeaway? Oh, man. Um, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I kind of feel like I'm in the same place as the ending of the last episode. Uh, this, This episode specifically, I felt, was my least favorite so far. I felt like there was a lot left to be desired here. Uh, it didn't really answer too many questions. There's a lot of things that I still want to know. So I don't know if I can really make an educated guess on what's going to happen next. Uh, the The brainworms thing is interesting. I definitely think there's something to do with the water supply, something with them drilling in the ice. I, I don't know what the correlation is yet, though. Um I did think that Navarro's ear bleeding at the end was a little interesting because I was thinking that might've been from her just getting the shit kicked out of her by those guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe she has like a concussion or something, or I don't know. She probably oh, yeah. needs to like get some bed rest would be my guess. <laughs> and maybe not chase bad guys right now. <laughs> she's not going to so, do that. that is yeah. She's too hardcore for that. Um, yep. So yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm definitely really excited for this coming Sunday. <laughs>
0: So I I kind of feel like I walked out of this episode with less of an idea of what's going on than I had before. Like Matthew said, I felt like it did not answer questions that I hoped we would get answers for. Again, it was 25% more information in most cases, but I wasn't as disappointed by that as what I thought I would be because I felt like, It ramped up tension. It ramped up the speed of things happening. I felt like after the last episode, so episode three was my least favorite so far, because I felt like it didn't really go anywhere until that very end. Yeah. And this one, I felt like, okay, the foot is on the pedal. We're moving. And we're at that point. Like if we still have no answers next episode, I'm going to be very disappointed because I don't, I think I said this last time, I don't want a final episode. Everything falls in the place. Mm-hmm. We, I was actually glad that something happened with Jules Now, instead of later, it felt like it was necessary for Navarro to now move forward and move on. and, I I felt like it was appropriate and I felt like in some way that was tying up a storyline. We were tying up what was going on with Jules and Navarro and now we can focus on how that impacts Navarro over the next couple episodes. But we still got no more, we got an answer as to why Dan versus NNS, but we still have no idea what happened with uh, Holden and her husband. We still have no idea where Leah came from. Mm-hmm. We still have like, ivy's great point of we don't have a villain (laughs) other than danvers yeah uh we don't have a suspect and i do think i do think that is what is making me lean to there was something in the ice could it be like a ancient parasite that got into the water supply i honestly think that makes a ton of sense other than the fact that the whole town hasn't been going crazy unless you count seeing the ghosts I don't know. And I think I would have liked a little bit more in this episode. Other than like, oh, here's Otis Heiss and we're not going to find out anything from him. Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah. It's, it, this, this. Yeah, this this series for season four definitely has a knack for like, OK, the last 10 minutes of the show, we're going to give you a bunch of information that might correlate later on i guess and it leaves a lot to be desired uh one thing i will say though is i want more information around what happened with um danvers and navarro in the room with the guy who killed his Mm -hmm. girlfriend because we get like 10 to 30 seconds of information at a time there and i feel like i wait an hour every week <laughs> or, yes. or during the episodes like an hour but i wait a week for that one hour and get like 30 seconds of information for the most interesting part of the show so far in my opinion
1: i'm oh. positive oh, we're yeah. going to see that entire scene positive
2: oh yeah probably last episode would be I'll my guess <laughs> oh, okay.
1: my Are best gonna... guess, my best guess is it's going to be that navarro saw the ghost Because the ghost seems to be pointing at him saying he's the one that did it. So my best guess is Navarro is going to say he did it and then they kill him and then that's going to be that. And then they couldn't handle Navarro couldn't handle participating in somebody's murder. And Danvers seems like the kind of person that would be like... I mean, if the punishment fits the crime, he kills her. This guy is evil. We know he's bad. Might as well kill him, too. Like, I feel like Danvers would be able to rationalize something like that. Navarro wouldn't because Navarro
0: has more of a soul. (laughs) Which that is a flip of the script from what I thought in a previous episode where it made it seem that Danvers most likely pulled the trigger, whereas that small scene in this episode, I thought, oh, maybe Navarro pulled the trigger. Yeah, I was thinking
2: like maybe she saw that ghost and then there was like some type of accident or something. Like maybe they didn't even mean to kill that guy. Mm. But I think it could be Navarro who pulled the trigger. Oh, I I hope
0: they killed him on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) I no longer think that something is going to happen to Kavik. It could. But I think he has taken more of a supporting cast role than I thought he would. And I no longer think something's going to happen to him. I'm thinking something's going to happen to Navarro now. Oh, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, this this episode, as I was watching it unfold, it's almost like everything that I thought was going to happen just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. in this episode yeah. like like you kind of just knew that's everything that was in it <laughs> yeah that's that's exactly why i'm disappointed it, there's like nothing new it was just like okay well this is just regular tv at this point anybody could write that i think <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i'm very interested to see still what is going on i did i'm curious to know who else is still following along because i think matthew and i saw a couple of our buddies in the chat had lost interest at this point and it's not not the same for me. I mean I think uh, with everything there's going to be some amount of predictability. Somebody's always going to see what's coming, mm-hmm. but I don't think that has stopped the show from unfolding in an entertaining way. There's still plenty that I am looking for answers for. I do think my overall satisfaction with the show will come down to that ending and yeah. how they answer those things that are left hanging. I'm personally, I'd like those Alfred Hitchcock endings where some things don't get answers. I don't need it all tied up in a pretty little bow. I need the major questions answered. But honestly, some of the little things. I'm not sure I need everything. I don't think I need at this point to know where Leah exactly fits into the danvers holden dynamic i don't think i need that but i need to know what happened with holden because that has had impact on a lot of characters from navarro seeing the ghost to the way danvers acts on a daily basis i don't need resolution to the russian girlfriend of hanks i think right now we're at a good spot with it like she didn't show up she was after him for money. I don't need more of it. Now what's Hank going to do? And I do think Hank, I was thinking something dramatic would happen with Hank after all of that.
2: Yeah. I had that feeling as well. Like he's going to, he's going to snap or something. Yes. Was Something's going to happen. Yeah. He Did was, he, Um, I don't think cold? it's actually hit home with him yet. What's happening.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that scene where he's picking up like all the rose petals off the bed and everything. Like, I think that that was when he's like, OK, I think I'm officially a broken man. Yeah.
1: If nothing, he, does if he doesn't snap and nothing does happen there, that entire storyline is pointless to me.
2: Like, yeah, I, I, yeah,
0: I would agree. I, will, I would agree. I think there's and I think that's why I think there's something there, whether I mean, whether something happens to Hank as far as self-inflicted or we go back to kind of that suspicion that Hank has been involved from the beginning and this is that trigger to him snapping and kind of going out of control. And I think that could, now answer a lot of questions, make sense of a lot of scenes that are kind of left hanging right now. And make sense of his behavior early on. I think my money's still on Hank. I think Connolly knew about it, but I think Hank might have been responsible for Annie. I think that's where I'm at. If not directly responsible for killing her, he orchestrated it. Yeah, he definitely wait, wait, wait. has
2: some animosity towards her.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's where I'm at on this episode. I am very curious to see what sunday holds as the little teaser at the end looks like we're gonna get that tension in the town boiling over so i'm excited to see what that has for us you guys have any final thoughts nope
2: okay i'm just ready for sunday (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's at this point it's what i look forward to most in the weekend other than the weekend itself it's my the last thing i do on sunday before bed is tune in for a show and then my weekend is over so it's bittersweet
2: (laughs) i agree with that yeah
0: (laughs) so i i have a question in california does it still wait till 9 p.m your time oh god i don't even know
1: Um, we've been watching it after 830, probably around nine o'clock, and it's been there every single time. So I'm not sure when it's going up.
0: So Matthew, are you able to watch it at eight? I can watch it at like 830 or so. Okay, so I cannot watch it until nine o'clock here. So I have to wait till the nine o'clock hour to tune in. So that's that's what I was curious. So it's almost like Ivy gets a head start on all of us, even though it's at the same time. It's way earlier in your day than it is in ours. Trust me, by 9 o'clock, I want to go to bed. (laughs) Fair enough. i go to bed at 2 a.m., but by 9 o'clock, I'm done. Yep, yep. All right, well, thanks for joining me again this week. We have two episodes left in the show, hoping for some answers. And if you are listening to this, whether on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, Head over to Instagram and let us know what you are thinking. Comment on it. I want to know. We're, we're not doing this so you can just hear what we think. I want to hear from you too. And if you're still enjoying it, like I said, uh, I'm still enjoying the show, even if some things aren't unfolding the way I hoped. I'm still having a good time watching it, hanging on for answers. So thanks again to Matthew and Ivy for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank and, you for having me. And we will see you next week. And, uh, thank you very much. And now we return you to our regular scheduled program in progress. you
1: means that